if you were to take Matthew McConaughey and uh, Brad Pitt and Vin Diesel and wrap them all up into one, you would have the 1960s and 70s heartthrob and movie star screen, Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve McQueen was the captain or the king of cool back in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, his most popular movie was Bullet, in which he played a lieutenant in the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, the movie has been rated in the top 1,000 in cinematic history. And the car chase uh, is the best, uh, is in the top 15 of all car chases in uh, cinematic history. And we saw it Friday night at the house, and it's really cool. <laughs> Uh, Steve McQueen had a very difficult upbringing in childhood. Uh, he uh, did not graduate from high school. He lived in multiple places. Uh, his father abandoned the family at birth, and his mother found many opportunities to abandon him throughout his childhood and his adolescence. When he was 15, she sent him to Boys Republic, a uh, California reform school in the best sense of the word, and he spent uh, 18 months there. It was rough and difficult until he learned to conform to the discipline, which conformity and Steve McQueen usually don't go in the same sentence. Uh, they do not. But he looked back on that 18 months as a time in his life that gave him seriousness of purpose and some discipline and some skills that really helped him for the rest of his uh, life. But through the years, uh, throughout the rest of his adult life, he would make at least two visits to Boys Republic every year. He'd bring gifts, he'd buy gifts, he'd buy some of the crafts and other items that they made there at the Boys Republic. He'd donate money, he was very generous, and then he would write the boys in the home where he lived, the particular cottage where he lived with about 25 other boys and a house mother. And he would write them personal letters and personal notes. He would actually call uh, the house mother and other workers there at the Boys Republic and find out something personal about their lives and address them uh, personally. Now, can you imagine? Here you are at the Boys Republic. You uh, are away from your family. You feel all alone. And you get a letter from the world's coolest guy. Can you imagine that? And it's personalized. And can you imagine how they would pour over those letters? Ladies and gentlemen, in the Bible, we have got a personal letter, in fact, 66 of them, from God, addressed to us. And the victory that you experience over demons and spiritual warfare will be in direct proportion to how much you immerse yourself in the Word of God. Much Bible much victory, some Bible, some victory, no Bible, no victory. And that's what we have in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And I want us to read the passage beginning back at verse number 10 so we can remind ourselves of what we find in the text as we've gone through this text over the last several weeks. But I want you to understand because of the power that is found in the Word of God, Satan will do all that he can, and demons will do all that they can to undermine your involvement and your faith in the Word of God. In fact, there is a relentless demonic conspiracy to undermine faith and immersion in the Word 
of God. And there are a lot of ways that that can happen, and we'll discuss some of those uh, this morning. But Adrian Rogers used to say that Satan would rather get you to think wrong than to do wrong. If you do wrong, you can make it right. In fact, you'll see a need to make it right if you think right. But if you think wrong, you won't see any need to make anything right. It won't appear that you need to do that. And that is why every thought has got to be taken captive to Christ by God's own Word. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul assured his readers that they could win in spiritual warfare if they would use the Scripture as a sword. Now beginning in verse number, uh, verse number 10 of chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the foundation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with you, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You can win in spiritual warfare if you will use the Scripture, God's Word, as a sword. Well, how do I do that? Well, there are several things that appear in the text. First, secure your sword. Secure your faith in the sword of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 17 calls the Bible the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of the Spirit uh, announces the source of the sword. It's the sword, the Scripture, is the sword of the Spirit. The sword that comes from the Spirit, the Word, the Bible, is the Word that comes from God. This is the nobility of its source. The source of the Bible is not merely the imaginations, the interpretations, the origination of humankind. The Bible indeed was written by humans, but ladies and gentlemen, it is written in such a way inerrantly that it is from God. God takes personal responsibility for the content of the Bible. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a text all of us should memorize. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed the Word into the Bible just like He breathed life into Adam and Eve. Peter will say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, No Scripture is of any private origination, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That word moved is uh, used also in Acts 27, verse 15 and 17, for how a storm moved the ship on which Paul was traveling. In the same way, the Holy Spirit moved the authors of the Word of God. The Bible is God's book. And demons labor intensely to undermine faith in this. Now, I want to make it clear. While it is not God's will... For any adult in a home or a classroom or a church or a pulpit to undermine anyone's faith in the Bible, it sure is the will of demons. And whenever that takes place, we're not getting an education. When that takes place, we're not getting objective research. We're getting an act of hell every time. Every time. 
It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about that. In Mark chapter 9, verse 42, he said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for you to take a millstone and tie it around your neck and cast yourself to the depths of the sea. Personal drowning would be better in eternity than to undermine someone's faith in the Word of God. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said that He did not come to abolish the law, the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, and that anyone that taught against the Old Testament and taught others to do so, that they would be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Then in John 17, 17, He said, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The Word of God is the inerrant Word of Almighty God. Inspired, infallible. In fact, I believe the Bible all the way from Genesis 1-1 to the very last map in the back of the book. That's how much we believe the Word of God. And in order to, in order to take a stand against demons, you've got to believe the Word. Or you're on a battlefield without a sword. Now, there may be some cranky people amongst us today who might say, well, hold on just a minute. You're cherry-picking through the Bible. Uh, you, you're, you're advocating in your beliefs about morality and behavior and sexuality um, just a few ideas that are from the Scripture. You're cherry-picking. What about all those laws in Leviticus that discourage the mixing of fibers and clothing and the forbidden uh, passages about eating shellfish? You're cherry-picking. Why don't you obey those laws too? Well, let me respond in a couple of ways. Number one... Let me respond with a question. If in your mind I am cherry-picking through the laws of Israel, then I've got to say you are cherry-picking through the laws of England by your own standard. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you, the laws of England, do you obey the laws of England about murder? Well, of course you do. But what about the laws on driving on the wrong side of the road, the left side of the road? Why don't you obey that? Oh, you're cherry-picking. You say, well, wait a minute. Those laws weren't given to me. Ha, ah, now we're getting somewhere. Many of the civil and ceremonial laws that were in Israel were not given to us because we're outside of Israel. But the laws about morality, behavior, sexuality were transferred to the entire Gentile world. So we're not cherry-picking. What we're doing is that we're obeying. So that's the first thing. If, if I'm cherry-picking the laws of Israel, you're cherry-picking laws of other nations. But the second thing is, please don't say things like that. You really embarrass yourself. And I don't mean to be insulting, and I'm not trying to do that. But what you're, what you're displaying is when you accuse us of cherry-picking the laws of the Bible, what you're displaying is that you really haven't studied the issue. You've read some superficial meme or blog site. And quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, a mosquito who bites a Baptist in a revival meeting has more knowledge of the Bible than most of those who write such sites. See? So secure your sword. You've got to believe the Word in order to have victory over demons. And God has never used and God has never saved anyone who doubted His Word. If you're going to be used by God, in victory, if you're going to be saved, you've got to believe His Word. And in fact, at the end of the message, we're going to invite you to start trusting the Lord, uh, to tell Him the truth about where you are with Him. 
and how guilty you are and to tell the truth to God and yourself about how much He loves you anyway and the truth about the cross and resurrection, to turn to Him and that, that's where your hope is. And, and the path to Him, we want you to tell the truth about that, that Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel and that's how we come to God. So the first thing to do is to secure your sword. But the second thing is to study your sword. Know how to use the sword. Now it says that the Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. Now this is a small sword, much like our um, Jake Johnson over here has in the uh, armor there. Uh, it's about two foot long. It's a few inches wide. But it's not the long four-foot sword where you just start whacking at anything that's in the way. This is a more skillful sword that was used for precise cuts and precise stabbing. And so it's specific, it's tactical, and that's the way this is. It's not enough in spiritual warfare to have a Bible. It's not enough merely to read through the Bible, although that's, that's a good place to start. In order to have victory in spiritual warfare, you need to know specific scriptures that help you with and that address the specific temptation that you are facing. Now this is remarkably, remarkably important. Demons will tempt you in those areas where you have no scriptural answer. So let me say to you, if you're struggling with lust, then go through all the Bible verses in the Scripture and memorize every one of them that address that issue. If you've got a problem with anger and controlling your spirit, go through the Scripture and memorize those Scriptures that address that. If you've got a problem with any area, find the biblical verses that address that, memorize those on that, and when the temptation comes, quote the Scripture, and Jesus models this in Matthew 4.4. 4. Uh, the devil tempted him at several points, and Jesus had a specific verse, a tactical sword, a sword of the Spirit, to return to the devil. And three times he quoted three specific verses from the book of Deuteronomy. That is why scripture memorization is so vitally, vitally important. Now, you want to do it in context, of course, but. Studying your sword is profoundly important. To have victory in spiritual warfare, you'll need to know specific biblical texts that address the specific temptation that you're facing. Now, a recent LifeWay study is not very encouraging or optimistic. On one hand, it does say that 87% of Americans have at least one, American families have at least one Bible. Uh, in fact, 27% have four or more. But, the challenge with that, and the problem with that in the United States, is that only 20% read it every day, and only 33, and 33% never pick it up at all. That is an invitation for demonic attack and a guarantee of defeat in spiritual warfare every time. Let me encourage you to do with the Bible what Michelle used to do with babies. When we had a child, it's the most remarkable thing. She would look at that child and look at every inch of that child. I think she counted the fingers and toes multiple times just to make sure they were all there. But she would look at every piece behind the ears. She would look between the toes. She would look between the fingers everywhere. Belly buttons there. Everything's good. But she was so amazed at the baby that God had given to us that she would spend what seemed to be hours just marveling over the child. May I encourage you to have the same kind of heart and commitment to marveling and looking over the Word 
of God. Now, it's okay to use devotional books and devotional guides, but at some point you've got to get beyond that and actually get into the Bible. No human book is an adequate substitute for the Bible itself. Get into it and read it and study it and meditate on it and hear it and memorize text on the topics where you are struggling. So secure your sword and then study your sword and then strike your sword. Use it to strike at the temptation that comes your way. Strike the blade of the sword of the Lord against the temptation that you face. Now, in 1979, Steve McQueen was diagnosed with mesothelioma, a very aggressive form of cancer. He had been exposed to asbestos when he was a Marine. He had to clear out a ship, and there was asbestos all over the place, and it infected him. And when uh, he was about 49, he uh, developed mesothelioma. He... Um, went to Mexico for some experimental treatments after nothing else would work. In fact, they gave him no hope at all that he would live and survive. And when he got really bad, his belly became terribly extended because of tumors. And he um, uh, intended to fly to El Paso to Mexico's famed surgeon to have the tumors removed. But before he did, as he was sitting on the tarmac at an airport in Oxnard, California, he um, called and said, I would really, really like to see Billy Graham. Well, Billy Graham had been noted about a month, uh, notified about a month earlier that uh, Steve might want to see him. And so they called him on the spot and said, if you have the opportunity and have the intention of seeing Steve McQueen, you need to come now. And so Billy flew from either Minneapolis or North Carolina, landed at the Oxnard Airport, and knocked on the door of the plane. You could do that back in those days. And he walked in and said, is Steve available? And he came in and he talked with Steve a little bit because Steve wanted to be certain that he really received Christ as Savior and that heaven was his home. Now, a few months earlier, before he ever developed and had news of his cancer, he gave his heart and life to Christ at an invitation when the pastor preached and let people pray to turn to receive Christ. He was sitting up in the balcony of uh, a Ventura church, gave his heart and life to Christ there, but he needed some assurance. And Billy walked onto the plane and opened the Bible to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and he shared these verses with him. Paul, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Steve McQueen learned at that moment as a new Christian that God is the one who cannot lie. He promised to come through with eternal life, and he did it every time. And so... Uh, he asked Billy to write down those verses, and Billy instead just gave him his Bible. And so Steve McQueen lived the rest of his life with Billy Graham's Bible at that time. That particular verse calmed all of his fears and worries about eternal life and about what would happen to him when he died. Demons will try to distract you from this book. We'll do it in Sunday school classes by merely talking about football and current events, uh, by mere stories in the pulpit without serious biblical exposition, even superstitious religion. Satan will use every one of these items to distract you from the Word of God. And if you're a teacher, if you're a preacher, there will be people when you're distracted from the Scripture that demons will inspire to applaud your speaking ability or your intellectual insights or your humor so long as you neglect the Bible every time. In fact, Kent Hughes said this about this, this phenomenon. He said, It is a mystery to me that many evangelical ministers say they believe in the inerrancy of Scriptures, but when they preach, there's no serious attempt to open them, but rather a chain of illustrations and stories to support a story with a scriptural moral. 
Sometimes I suspect this is because of laziness, because preaching the Word takes work. But I also think it's often because they do not truly believe in the power of the Word. They do not really believe it is the sword. The irony is, now watch this, the irony is if they're truly Christians, they were at one time laid open by the Word and converted by the Word. It was the Word of God that started their conversion, that has fueled their growth, and now they've abandoned it, though they claim to believe it. And I've got to say, that's not only in the pulpits of America, in the evangelical churches. That's with so many in churches. They want to put their hope and faith of reaching the world in entertainment and in humor and in a variety of other means and methods and neglect or minimize or hide or obscure this embarrassing Bible because it's not relevant and people don't believe it. When that happens, the devil has just taken the sword out of your hands. Ephesians 6.17 says, take it up. And we do this because Matthew 4.4, it's an enlivening word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John 15.3, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. So it's a cleansing word. Acts 2.37, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart like some of you are today. You're cut and God's laying you open uh, to confess to Him and come close to Him. It's a cutting word. Uh, Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's a converting word. Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's an active word. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, he shall slay the Antichrist Christ with the breath of his mouth and Revelation 19:15 says there is a sharp two-edged sword that proceeds from his mouth Jesus in his second coming so it's a killing sword that will kill the unholy trinity when Christ returns ladies and gentlemen if Jesus can take care of the devil and demons with the word he promises you can do so as well if the bible is good enough for Jesus it's good enough for all now you get people erudition and you'll get what education can do you give people entertainment, you'll do what entertainment can do. You give them politics, you'll give them what politicians can do. But you give them the Word of God and you give them what God can do every time. So the power of a life and the power of a ministry is directly proportionate to the use of the Word of God. And again, that's why I like Steve McQueen's story. He went on to El Paso to have the tumors removed from his body. The doctor opened him up and he gasped and he said, where do I begin? And after about three hours, he'd finally removed them all. He patched him up, and he was resting. But after a little while, Steve McQueen had two heart attacks and passed away. But it's rather interesting. When they came upon him and found that he had expired, Steve McQueen was holding that Bible that Billy Graham had given him. And I want you to know, he was holding the Bible, because that's where his hope and comfort was. He was not holding a newspaper. He was not holding a pornographic magazine. He was not holding a stock report. He was not holding the platform of a political party. And he wasn't even holding Darwin's origin of the species. He was holding the living, active Word of God because it comes from God. It contains the promises and the victory that we need in life. And God gives it to us by His Word. If you want power and victory, immerse yourself in the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. 
And so this morning, God's invitation to you is to run from all other hopes and loves, to place your faith in His Word. Psalms 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. But let me ask you this morning, can you tell God the truth? And can you call on Him with a true heart and tell Him the truth? Can you tell Him, dear God, I am guilty before you and I admit it and I know it and I've blown it. I have loved my sin, but right now I'm hating it. I'm telling you the truth about me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.22, the Scripture has shut up all men under sin. It's consigned all to sin. Can you tell God the truth this morning in that way? Then can you tell Him the truth about His love for you? The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, and who's not a whoever, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said to, said to uh, Judah through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3, I've loved you with an everlasting love and I've drawn you with cords of loving kindness. And that's precisely what He's doing now. You think about Jesus dying on the cross and you sense in your heart that you need to come to Him. That's God drawing you with cords of loving kindness. And then can you tell Him the truth about the cross? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried, which means He was dead. And then He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and He was seen by many, which means He was raised. Can you tell God the truth that that is where your hope is, that Jesus paid the penalty to make you right with God and God vindicated Him by raising Him from the dead? And then can you tell the truth about the way to be made right with God? Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Run from all your other loves, anything that's keeping you from Jesus, and trust only the death and resurrection of Christ. Listen, if you can tell the truth about those items, there is hope for you. God can save you, cancel your sin, make you new, and lift you up in the name of Jesus. And I want us to take a moment this morning to pray about that. So would you stand with me, please? And let's do serious business with God now as you call on Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You're near to all who call upon You in the spirit of truth, who are entirely transparent with You and vulnerable with You, and who won't attempt at all to engage in any guile or deceit as they speak with You. They won't try to impress You with things that aren't true. And I want to pray for friends here today that they would do that very thing. God, would you please move on their hearts to call upon you in truth. Now, as you keep talking to God, can you do that this morning? I'm going to give you the same opportunity Steve McQueen had back in 1979, right where you're sitting, to tell God the truth. Tell God the truth about your guilt. Just get honest with Him. And now, can you tell God the truth about His love for you? And tell Him how much you trust Him, that He really does love you. He who spared not His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us all things? Can you tell Him the truth about His love? Now tell Him the truth about your faith in the cross and resurrection. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, the Scripture says.
Now, can you tell God the truth about your intention from this point on? That you're going to follow Jesus with all your heart? He said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who's in heaven. There's no confusion there. He said, you're for me or you're against me. Which way? Which way? Would you tell him the truth about which way you're going? And maybe as you do that, you want to ask him to help you be a public and serious follower of Jesus. Okay, listen carefully. Here's what we're going to do. No one's looking around. But in just a moment, Tommy and I will be standing up front, and we're going to ask you to come. He said, confess me before men. Here's your opportunity. You come. You tell us your spiritual need, your decision. We'll pray with you, and this whole church will get behind you as you try to follow Jesus. That's precisely what we'll do. Maybe God's moving on your heart for some other decision to become a member of Beach Haven. You come. Maybe he's calling you to ministry, a missionary service. Maybe to rededicate your life and turn it back over to Christ. Maybe a new commitment to the Bible. I'm going to pray. We'll start singing, and we want you to come. Lord God, would you do a neat work here to magnify Jesus' name all the way. And we praise you for it. We ask that friends would do your will and that they would hurry to do it. 